I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We are in the book of Joshua. Let's start in chapter 9, verse 16. Three days after making the treaty with them, they heard that the Gibeonites were their neighbors living among them. So the Israelites set out and reached the Gibeonite cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Kephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. These are cities, by the way, that are just a few miles from Jerusalem. They're on the land that would be eventually, in the course of the book of Joshua, allocated to the tribe of Benjamin. It's kind of at the very heart of Israel. This is remarkable, too, because the Gibeonites had to have known that this eventually would be discovered. But they tried to trap Israel in a vow anyway. Here's verse 18. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the community had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then the whole community grumbled against the leaders. This word grumbled, it's accurately translated. And the Hebrew word from whence it comes, to my knowledge, is only used one other time in the Torah. And that is to describe the people of the first generation of Israel complaining against Moses. Now, there's a critical difference here. The first generation grumblers Man, they were just afraid of the giants in the promised land. They wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt. They missed having garlic and they were sick of the manna. But these second generation grumblers, they do kind of have a point because their leadership has failed. Here's verse 19. All the leaders answered them, We have sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This is how we will treat them. We will let them live so that no wrath will fall on us because of the oath we swore to them. They also said, let them live. So the Gibeonites became woodcutters and water carriers for the whole community as the leaders had promised them. Okay, we're going to talk more about the woodcutters and water carriers bit, but I want to talk about uh, a disagreement over this right here in verse 20. Uh, that they would let them live so that no wrath would fall on us because of the oath we swore to them. Um, I read one commentator who actually believed that by making the oath they sinned and then by keeping the oath they sinned again. Uh, however, I'll show you where the Gibeonite legacy in future generations of monarchical Israel, okay, through the events of Joshua, through the events of Judges, all the way into the, you know, uh, the effects of the ministry of Samuel, when when David is is king, uh, it's going to affect them. This vow to the Gibeonites is going to be inherited by multiple generations, uh, even through the era of the judges. And then God's going to deal with His people uh, for violating this vow that has been made. So there's there's some contestation around the the the, the yeah, this vow that they had made with the Gibeonites, right? And that has some bearing on something that we've taught uh, before, but I'll address that in a moment. Verse 21, they also said, let them live. So the Gibeonites became woodcutters and water carriers for the whole community as the, as the leaders had promised them. Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said to them, why did you deceive us by telling us you live far away from us when in fact you live among us? Therefore you are cursed and will always be slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. These guys were crafty. These Gibeonites were really slick. They knew about this reference in Deuteronomy 29, 11, that resident aliens in the camps could be woodcutters and water carriers. It says they, they, they cut your wood and they draw your water. Man, these guys, I mean, they, they had a costume department for crying out loud. They went through wardrobe and they had threadbare clothes on and worn out cracked sandals and wineskins and everything. And I think that they even knew about this provision that was made for them. 
but their duplicitousness is revealed in their lack of surrender and the effect that this vow has on the future generations of Israel. Remember Rahab. She also knew about Egypt. She even mentioned the Red Sea. She also knew about Sihon. She knew about Og. And she had a totally different take when approaching you know, the, the people of God on the earth in her context in her day than the Gibeonites did. Here's the future story of this vow with the Gibeonites in 2 Samuel 21. During David's reign, there was a famine for three successive years. So David inquired of the Lord. The Lord answered, it is due to Saul and his bloody family because he killed the Gibeonites. So generationally, man, you know, we, we know that uh, like David was God's anointed king. Saul was sort of chosen from among the people because he was impressive. And the Lord is dealing with Israel. Now, under David's reign, David has inherited the fallout from one of Saul's decisions. Saul violated this vow with the Gibeonites that was made by Joshua and company. The Gibeonites were not Israelites, but rather a remnant of the Amorites. The Israelites had taken an oath concerning them, but Saul had tried to kill them in his zeal for the Israelites in Judah. So David summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. He asked the Gibeonites, what should I do for you? How can I make atonement so that you will bring a blessing on the Lord's inheritance? The Gibeonites said to him, we are not asking for silver and gold from Saul or his family, and we cannot put anyone to death in Israel. Whatever you say, I will do for you, he said. So it leads to an issue for King David. I mean, that is generations later. God held Israel to this vow that they made with the Gibeonites. And so in today's text, when there's speculation in verse 20, that you know, if we violate this vow, uh, God's going to bring wrath on us. Sure enough, it would lead to a famine under David's reign because Saul, David's predecessor, would violate this very oath. I want to close by coming back to um, you know a teaching we had in Judges, and then also the difference between Rahab and the Gibeonites. So in our series in Judges, we saw this guy named Jephthah, and he just added on vows to the Word of God. In our sermon on that, we talked about, look, like don't make stupid extra-biblical vows. Okay, like first of all, it's obvious if you, like Jephthah, make a vow that is sinful, don't do it. Like to the glory of God, don't fulfill that vow. But what about vows that seem kind of righteous? What about vows particularly that are dietary in nature. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit's conviction on your heart and you do make a vow. God may hold you to this because you're doing something that you, if you violate it, you're doing something that you have professed to God to be sin. So that means that you, in your own context, are knowingly sinning. This would come and influence Paul's discourses about food sacrificed to idols, for example. So in this case, it's not a vow that is overtly sinful. It seems like a nice thing to do sort of to let them live all right, but it comes with the curse. They're never going to graduate beyond Deuteronomy 29, 11 status. They're always going to be woodcutters and water carriers. And so, man, it's, it's, it's tough because now future success, uh, successors to Israel's legacy would inherit this same vow and they would suffer for violating it. God did hold Israel to this vow. And it all stemmed from them not consulting God. See to it that in a moment of rash emotionalism, you do not make an extra biblical vow to God. It should be obvious that if the vow you've made 
is a vow to sin, like Jephthah's vow, for example, in the book of Judges, to the glory of God, don't. In that case, the commentator is right by making the value sin and then by fulfilling the value sin again, because the vow itself is sinful. But this is different. We do make these kinds of vows before the Lord. Man, God just may choose to hold us to them. So search your heart for any such legalisms, superstitions, if you will, and repent of them. Ask for God's deliverance from them. But remember as well the critical difference here. Rahab was authentic. The Gibeonites were being manipulative. Have the Holy Spirit's discernment to see the difference between these two things. Rahab came and surrendered to the Lord, worshiping Yahweh. The Gibeonites weaseled their way in to share in a little bit of what God had promised to his people. The result was a blemish on Joshua's record and a future, uh, a future famine for the people of God. When we look at the Gibeonites, I think it's time for us to also see if we see our reflection in them. Are you about the business of ingratiating yourself? using false pretense as to your intentions, would you repent of that? Because this is the Gibeonite legacy. Manipulation, famine, division, and a blemish on Joshua's record. Ultimately, Joshua was responsible because he didn't consult with the Lord. Always, always, always acknowledge God first. It will deliver you from scenarios like these.